Today we're reading out of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 17 and we invite you to stand. Paul speaking to Timothy but also to us all. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, on this your day, we thank you for the word alive, which is Christ. For the word written, which is the scripture, which is also alive with the spirit, interacts with it in our hearts and minds. Lord, we thank you for the word of God in Galilee and the Word of God with us now, and for the closeness that these two share. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Today is the last day of the Christian year. It is technically Christ the King Sunday, but there is something that we kind of wanted to do and the timing didn't work right because two weeks ago was International Bible Week. And there was a plan, maybe we would do a challenge to have all of you bring your Bibles and all. Well, you know, everything got sort of, eh. have y'all had that experience? Crunched? Yes. But before this Christian year ends, how can we get this in here? Well, let's talk about the word of the King, the word that our Lord has given us. And maybe that also gives it just this little extra oomph because in a way we know this is written in love, but it is also the proclamation of the God of the universe. Doesn't that scripture fit you though? For many of us, it is true that from childhood, we have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct us for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It is as true for many of us as it was for Timothy. I grew up hearing all of the songs and the first one I remember. What's the first one about the Bible you remember? Hmm. Okay, that's a good one. That's actually the first one. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. What was the second one? That's the second one. Jesus loves me, this I know. Yes. Because from our childhood, we have known the sacred writings. If we weren't reading them ourselves, or maybe we were reading the the little kid version. I still have my little Bible that has Jesus and the little children on the front of it. I got when I was a kid. And I would try to read, and it was kind of interesting, the where to fours and four as muches and and uh, these and thous, and, and I still think that's why a lot of us in the South have this desire for y'all. 
Because we're used to reading, or at least many of us are, the King James Version. And if you're going to say you and it be one person, it says thee or thou. And if it's going to be more than one person, it's you. And we're like, wait a minute, we need that, so we just made a y'all. That's all right up north, it's Ewan's. West Virginia? What is it on Sesame Street? Hey, you guys! Is that what that was? Yeah. Y'all guys? Oh, they're like, you know, the blue and the gray are meeting. That's awesome. It, okay, rabbit chase, back into track. For the Bible tells me so. That's what I, that was a large part of my childhood understanding growing up. And then I started working my way into the larger culture. And you know what I got when I said something that amounted to Jesus loves me this and over the Bible tells me so? So what? It's just a book. Did any of y'all get that? Oh, I got that. Maybe it was the circles I was running in. And here's the thing, though. You might not have gotten that. I did get that. I'm pretty sure that this is having an impact. And if it's not on us, it is going to have an impact on our kids, on our grandkids. And some of y'all might have the greats out there. So maybe we can spend at least this one Sunday, just on this word of our God and our King that He has given to us, and maybe look at some of the things, and basically I'm confining myself to things that I have been asked while at Concord, okay? So we know that it is for many who, hopefully many, who are here. The question of how confident can we be in Scripture? And the first thing we want to start off with is this. How confident can we be in how the Bible was constructed? Now that might not be something that we think much about or preach much about. And specifically, I want us to just look at the New Testament because that's the one that has taken a lot of hits lately. And I want to tell you a story of how this came about. And hopefully this story will bear a very close relationship to what actually happened, okay? Starting in that early first century. We're talking about 33 AD, 30 AD, around that time when Jesus passed to around that 100 AD mark. This is the time of the first Christians. And what are they doing? They are establishing churches. You have missions work going out from Jerusalem. The word is being spread to different people, different uh, areas, different languages, fulfilling that miracle of Pentecost for people in different languages was, was hearing the Word of God preached. The Word was spreading out and churches were being founded in this area. Thankfully, even though the Roman Empire had a stranglehold in many ways, it made the spread of the gospel possible because you could travel pretty much from the Middle East to Europe without concern about too much loss of life. Or down to Egypt. Within this time, the gospel even started making it east into India, into China. This was the time when you had 
The stories of Jesus being told and shared. Tell me the stories of Jesus right on my heart every word. Because there were still people there who remembered and who were handing it down. This was also the time that you had correspondence between the churches start up. The Apostle Paul wrote a number of letters. Like the first and second letter to the Corinthians the letter to the Galatians. Some of these were very targeted specifically to those churches, but with the understanding that they would probably be read by other churches as well. Then there were others like Ephesians, which although Ephesians is what it is labeled, we're pretty sure this was just Paul saying, okay, I'm going to write all of these, and this one goes to the Ephesians, this one goes to this, this one goes to that. The Ephesians copy is what was preserved and recorded, but it reads more like a tract to all of the churches in the area. And in some way... They are remembering or anticipating or, I should say, expecting that these letters are being treated as Scripture. Let's see, we're in the 3.16s today, Second Peter 3.16. Of course, that's easy to remember because of John 3.16. But Second Peter, speaking of Paul, he, Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things which are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do, and here's the money verse, the other scriptures to their own destruction. This early there was already an understanding that something was happening. Now, as time was passing on, the people who remembered, who were eyewitnesses to, or their immediate followers were starting to pass away. And they said, hey, we need to write all of these stories down. So you had individuals, which traditionally, Matthew, who started out as a tax collector, Mark, who we believe or traditionally was the one who was hanging around Peter, Oh, and by the way, if you ever wonder where Mark is, there's this little section when Jesus is arrested. It's the weirdest little story, and it's in Mark, about this kid who was there, and they try to seize him, and they pull his garments off, and here he is streaking throughout the garden trying to get away. Now, whenever something weird like that, you go, what has that to do with anything? Do you notice in the Gospel of John, it never says me or I, it's always the disciple whom Jesus loved, they found creative ways of identifying themselves without focusing on them. Luke, we find in Acts, he traveled with the Apostle Paul. Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Those are basically one thing, two pieces. And at one point in Acts, Luke stopped saying they did this and began saying, and we did this. So that's the point where he says, this is where I began traveling with them. And what had been delivered to Paul, what was delivered, uh, let's see, he said, what was delivered unto me, I have passed on to you as of first importance, and then goes through the basics of the gospel. And Luke, being a doctor of medicine and educated, 
decided to write something to everyone, and oh, Theophilus, which is translated lover of God. I have sat down to write these things in order after diligently investigating them. And of course, John, who wanted to focus on not just Jesus, but the incarnate Word of God so much that he goes back to Genesis. And where in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, John said in the beginning was the Word, and everything in the heavens and the earth were created through him. Now, each local church had their copies of these letters and of these gospels. They were copied, they were passed around. But here's the thing, each of them had the responsibility of saying, you know, this feels genuine. The Holy Spirit is here whenever we read this. This sounds like the same Jesus that I have heard about. So this I am going to accept as authentic and as authoritative. And the earliest list that we have that a church generated goes back to around 170 A.D., And it included everything that is in our New Testament except Hebrews, James, and one of the letters of John. But even at that stage, almost everything that we have, that is what they had. Now, they had some other things. They said, well, some of us accept this apocalypse of Peter, but others will not allow us to read it in church. So you see, there was that discussion. Well, we think this is, no, 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 no. We don't see the same Jesus here. And then he outright says there's two letters supposedly written by Paul, but those aren't real. So that is the conversation that is going on about 100 to 150 years after Christ ascended into heaven. These are the things that we know. And over this time, this consensus developed as to what would be accepted first It had to be directly connected to an apostle or to someone else very close to Jesus, like James the Just, Jesus' brother. Second, the writing had to speak with this same voice. Now, you know they have the different flavors and you hear the author's voice, but still this consistent picture of the same Jesus had to shine through. And the writings had to have widespread acceptance. If this group out here in left field was reading something and everyone else was, what? Then that was pretty much seen as, well, that's nothing. This went on for about a period of 300 years. We know in the middle of the 4th century, around 350, we have a letter where the listed books of that are authoritative are exactly the list in our New Testament. Exactly. About 20 years after that list, we have a group of bishops and theologians getting together in Rome, and that list was discussed, ratified, and published. Now, do you get how this happened over time? That is very different from someone like a Dan Brown saying, well, these books were compiled and edited by men who possessed a political agenda wanting to unify their power base. Okay, that's not what happened. 
There wasn't any smoke-filled rooms. There wasn't any, you know... Do y'all know the reference star chamber? See, Lori, some of them know that. Okay. There wasn't any people going, what are we going to do? How can we manipulate this? Basically, over time, the spirit working through the churches said, these are the books of the new covenant, which translated as New Testament. So you don't have to wonder whether there was a conspiracy If there was a conspiracy, it was over generations of people, thousands and thousands of them feeling the presence of God through these scriptures. Second one, I'm going to have to hurry. You can be confident in the Bible's translation today. This Bible is my Bible and Lori's Bible. This is the one that we got Either right before or right after we were married, we were in the Sounds Club in Chattanooga, Tennessee, looking through them. I still have that mental image of when we picked out what was going to be our study Bible, because we were in the middle of figuring out what we believed. Nazarene, Baptist, we had some conversations. We picked this one out because we kind of like the NIV translation. From what I'd read about it, it seemed to be fairly stable. And the NIV study notes seemed awesome. And you know, of course, it was going to be our Bible. We had to get leather. A cow had to give its all for this Bible, you know, for us to have it. And we even got the little cheat sheets. You know what those are? The thumb index. I was saying, oh, and we got the cheat sheets here and uh, was planning on saying, okay, everybody, find the book of Philemon as quick as you can. And I was going to turn it, and doggone it, that's when one of them came unpasted, the one that had Philemon on it. He's got a sense of humor at times. This Now, I've got, <laughs> I've got more than that number of Bibles. Okay, I just grabbed that off of Google. I've got twice that number of Bibles, and if I get out my electronics, I've got probably four times that number of Bibles, of study notes, of commentaries, yada, 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 yada. Okay, it's a lot. But this one is the one that when I think of as our Bible, this is the one I think of. Because this is the one we got to try to figure out some of those hard things. And we've got the highlighting in it. Lori's still got her Bible that she grew up with. It's got a lot of notes in it. I was like, I can't bear to write in a leather belt. But I did highlight. This was important to us. But... It is kind of hard today to figure out what your Bible is going to be. The American Bible Society said, okay, if you look at all of the translations, the partial translations, not whole Bibles necessarily, but other translations that have been like, this book was translated for this particular blah, blah, blah. The number of them, complete or incomplete, in English is around 900 translations. And I got to pick one? Things to remember. Now, we are in a consumer culture, right? 
People know people love the Bible. So they're going to do their best. And as new discoveries are made with older manuscripts being uncovered, they will make updates to the translation to get it closer and closer to what was originally written at the very beginning and translating it better into English. But here's the thing. Again, remember these. Modern translations on the whole have better sources than the older ones. In other words, they have found things that are closer to the first century. All translations come from a particular time and place and people, and that does affect their choice in translation. For instance, in verse 17... The NRSV reads, so that everyone who belongs to God will be equipped. The NIV reads, so that the man of God. Now, why is there a difference? Because in the NIV, they said, well, we're pretty sure everybody knows that the man of God that would apply to everybody. On the NRSV, they said, no, if we translate that literally, there's a lot of women who will feel excluded. So we're going to say everyone who belongs to God instead. Now, does it get the same meaning? I believe so. One is closer to what was originally written. That's your choice. Paraphrases translate idea for idea instead of word for word. And let me give you an example of that. Acts 26. And when we were all fallen to earth, this is Paul talking about his conversion on the Damascus road. I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Anyone explain that real quick? Um, The modern translation is kick against the goads. Does that help you? Okay. When you were plowing back then, The ox could be stubborn. They're big, they're unruly, you've got to keep the bluff on them, right? You would have a goad, basically like a small lance with a metal tip that if the ox was going in the wrong direction and being stubborn, you could poke him, all right? If the ox was being really stubborn when you poked him, he would kick back. And what he would do in kicking back is he would actually drive that further into him and hurt himself more. So it is hard for you. You are injuring yourself kicking against the goads. Now, the message paraphrase translates that, why do you insist on going against the grain? Now, do you think that's good? Is that a good way? I mean, it puts it in our modern language. It's something that is also idiomatic. It is something that is also an expression for us, like that was just an expression for them. But there's something, I think, that loses that idea of self-injury by going against the direction that God is wanting you to go. So my personal choice, a literal translation with study notes that explains the meaning or the background of these things. Things that are hard to understand. And it's always a good practice. You know, the Bible says to test the spirits to see if they are of God. Test the translations one against the other. That weeds out the back ones. If you've got something that says something that can't be right, 
get yourself a couple of other translations. That's kind of easy to do now. At least, you know, it's if it's not easy for you, it can be easy for your grandkids. Call one of them. They can find you a list of that verse that has about 20 different Bibles on uh, translations. And from reading all of those, you can get a pretty good idea of the meaning of that section. Lastly, we can be confident in its teachings. That's kind of hard to read. I didn't expect it, but anyway... That's supposed to be blue and then... eh. Verse 16. All Scripture is inspired of God. Literally, all Scripture is God-breathed. That wonderful Greek word, Theo, God, nuestros, breathed. Remember all the times in the Bible where... God breathed and something happened. Like God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. Jesus breathed upon the disciples for them to receive the Holy Spirit. How the Spirit itself is the same word for spirit as wind, as breath. And here, Paul was saying to Timothy, all the scriptures are breathed of God. We translate that usually as inspired, but it's not the same kind of inspired as saying, oh, that was an inspired performance. There is a mystery here. How can words written by human hand also be God-breathed? I don't know the answer, but I think in some mysterious way it's linked to this. How could Jesus of Nazareth be completely human and completely divine. Somehow those two seem to parallel. Things to remember. The letters with all of their hard things to understand, never forget they were written for the most part to particular churches, but with that understanding others might read them. You can expect them to target the particular problems at that church within their context, within their society. The entire New Testament also was written in this first century context. And for us to apply it to our lives, sometimes you have to take a step back from the practice and look at the principle underlying it before you can apply it to your lives. Now within their context, they were a small, persecuted, religious minority. The other night I went to Christopher's play. Intense play. Some serious questions that were asked. After the ending of it, I believe it was a professor that was there visiting, said something about the nature of art, which of course I immediately think, well, how does that apply to Scripture since it is literature and since it is God-breathed art in a way? He said, well, art can either accept the status quo or challenge it. And my thought was, well, what about the Bible? What it does? What this small persecuted religious minority did, they did not necessarily get out in the streets and protest the status quo, but the teachings within Scripture subverted it instead. And this was where I was going to say, okay, everybody, can you find Philemon? 
Philemon. It's right before Hebrews. This is all of it, including study notes. It is the shortest thing Paul seems to have written because he started the tradition of preachers being long-winded, don't you know? So, so it is a great tradition, so why, why should we abandon it? In the book of Philemon, you have a slave. This is the letter that Paul is sending with the slave Onesimus to give to his master Philemon. He is an escaped slave. He has run away. He has become a believer in Christ. The master Philemon is a believer in Christ. And Paul is sending the slave back? Well, Paul is supporting the Institute of Slavery. Now, read what is being said. Because Paul is sending this slave back and saying to the master, this slave who was your slave is now your brother in Christ. Now to the Romans of that day, a slave was not human. They had no rights over themselves, over their own body or their own future. Now here is Paul saying, this slave is now your brother in Christ. How can the institution of slavery survive when the underpinning, the looking at someone as less valuable in love than you, as less human than you, how can slavery survive when that underpinning is kicked out? It can't. And it did not. Until centuries later, when it was reintroduced into Western Christian society, and we had to fight that battle all over again. The church was a challenge to Rome in the way that water wears down the stone. It changed this place, this empire, where babies were thrown out on trash heaps and you would see the barges going by squirming because of the infants that were trash. They rescued those infants and adopted them as Christ had adopted them. They challenged her, well, the poor are just the poor. They started taking care of the poor. Well, hospitals are just for the military to get them ready for battle. No, hospitals are for everyone to bring them healing. And the status quo changed. I think that's all, even over 10 minutes than what I had time for, but... Guys, we are more distant from the first century than any other generation before us, but we also have resources that are many times greater than any that have gone before. The one, granted there's a lot of chaff mixed in with the wheat, but you pretty much can sniff out by now, can't you, the people who have their agendas it becomes kind of obvious. Use all the resources available. But here's the thing I wish, and I hope that this is a part of your relationship with Christ because if I could impart something today, it would be an excitement, a holy excitement and desire to be like this little kid just looking through. The same kind of excitement that the... <laughs> the budding young scientist has looking through the microscope, seeing the hidden world for the first time. 
that same kind of fascination that Kimberly, whenever we brought her home, yeah, I'm talking about you, girl. You'll get tired of it too, I know. That fascination when she saw grass for the first time and was sitting on the grass and doing this to each strand or each grass leaf. That same kind of fascination and excitement and desire to spend time in God's Word, accused like the early Methodists were of being Bible moths because they were just fluttering around the Word all the time. Thankful, grateful, humbled, and thrilled by the Word that the Creator of the universe has given to us, which, thanks be to God, is a message of life, of forgiveness, of love. This word is amazing. May we feast on it just as much as we feasted on that turkey this past Thursday. Dear Lord, guide us and give us the desire, the gratefulness, the perseverance to study, to even wrestle with your word when we find the things that just make no sense to us. Or how can this be? Or how can this work with this over here, Lord? Help us to find that as an invitation to dig even deeper. Send us the resources of people and of, and of notes and of, uh, and of the translation that we need, Lord. Guide us deeper by the presence, most of all, the presence of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and apply it to our lives in this day where so much has changed, but human nature has stayed the same. But Lord, we thank you as well that even though human nature has remained the same, Lord, your word is sure. Your nature is everlasting. And you are the God who loves, who redeems, and who speaks. Dear Lord, let it be.